Hey, didn't our team do a great job this morning? Yeah. We, we had uh, three generations of Quartz family up there. And it's ZNA for her first time, and she did awesome, our youth in the, in, uh, in the house. That was wonderful. Well, I, I'd like to read the scriptures to you before we get started today. Um, this is a text I'll be preaching, and it, it says this, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, that is Jesus, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than he is here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to see everybody. It's good to be here with my friends that are right here in-house and also my friends that are watching online in different places around the world. Um, if we have not met yet, my name is Ken, and I serve as the pastor here at Crosswinds. Now, if we have not met, there's one thing I know for sure about everyone here. Actually, there's two that you are dearly loved by God, and also you have sinned against him. I know those things. Those are both true. I know those are true of me because God's word tells me that. But I've also chosen to believe it. Now, if I'm honest, I don't always feel like a sinner. And honestly, I don't always feel loved. How about you? I think we all feel that way sometimes. And the reason is my feelings... And your feelings lie. His word also says that, that our feelings lie. So since God has said both things are true of all of us, there's a deception going on when we disbelieve either truth. The deception in both cases is what I would call demonic or wicked thinking. And it's eternally dangerous to entertain. But it's also pretty ordinary. It's pretty ordinary to us as human beings. In the sentence I read in today's text um, that comes right before, says this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, not listening to our emotions. To be happy, joyful, and have peace in life, you, you really need to believe both truths. And we should not depart into either extreme of our innocence before God or doubting his love for us because really they are the same extreme they are both disbelieving in him our message today is called a massive love for sinners i'm thankful he, he does have that frankly you will not understand how massive god's love is for you unless you understand the peril your sin has put you in Today, let's look closely at the word that I read before, and let, let's let the Holy Spirit guide us in understanding of both truths. And so verse 29 says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, the verse says the crowd was increasing. And, and so that tells us the people loved to come to Jesus. They, they wanted to hear Jesus. And, and Jesus was honest about the problem we all have of sin. 
But he was not there to condemn the crowd for it. He didn't condemn sinners. Uh, The religious people were condemning people. Um, Jesus liked sinners. He he liked to hang around with them. The the, the problem was uh, the religious tend to only absorb part of the truth. That they are loved by God and God favors them. And, and they reject the idea that their sin, if they have any, is serious. I was once teaching a Bible study with a bunch of very religiously minded people. And my opening question was, hey, do you guys like hanging out with sinners? And for about five minutes, they were all like, oh, no, I hate being around sinners and I don't like to be around them. And, and I let that conversation go intentionally for about five or six minutes. And then I looked at them all and I said, well, I like being with all of you. <laughs> they didn't laugh. <laughs> it got real quiet. Okay. Nobody had a lot to say after that. But see, the scriptures say Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I say with the apostle Paul that I am chief of them. And if you say that you're not a sinner, Jesus has not saved you. Because Jesus came, didn't come to save perfect people. That that was not his mission. Now, being a sinner is also not our identity either. It's, It's a description of how we can all behave at times. It doesn't define us. Our sin does not define us. God defines us. There, there, there's actually no such thing as sinners and non-sinners that, that God separates us by. But there is a difference between saved and unsaved. The real difference between the two groups is a strong belief in God's love for them despite the fact that they are sinners. That's the saved group. Now, if you don't believe me, let's look at what Jesus is saying. He says, this generation is an evil generation. See, Jesus is bold. He is telling the crowd he's speaking to that they are evil. He's not singling anybody out by any specific group of religious or non-religious, sinner or righteous. The generation is evil. Everybody has the same problem. What's the problem? They are seeking signs. And what's the problem with a sign? A sign from God, nothing, really. There's no problem with having a sign. The problem was that they wanted additional signs, additional signs from God in order to believe in his love and his care for them. They they wanted more evidence that God was good and that God loved them. And their problem really was not evidence because the evidence was literally sitting in front of them, speaking to them. But they stubbornly resisted believing. And and they either dismissed one or both of these truths I'm talking about. And that this ultimately made them unbelievers of God, even though many of them said they believed. When you are seeking and you're demanding a sign from God, you are practicing unbelief. Now, demanding signs from God is very common in people today. Not just out in the world, but here in our church. Many willfully persist on demanding some sign or wonder 
in or around them before they will trust God. They're always seeking some supernatural event like seeing Mother Mary appear in a taco shell. They're always watching and waiting to see some fantastic sign before they will believe and trust God. And often when you talk to them, it's more that they're more interested in the signs and, and, and what they believe to be supernatural signs, like their dreams or their visions or the strange events that happen in their life. They're more fascinated by that than Jesus and his gospel. Some are more excited about their conspiracy theories. They're the looking for prophetic signs. They're, they're more excited about conspiracy than they are about obeying the gospel of Jesus. They, they like to believe the fantastic and the sensational more than the fact that they are sinners loved by God that need to be redeemed. Many today are, are also not looking for supernaturally fantastic signs. They're just looking for a sign of something positive in their life in order to believe. When there are positive circumstances in their life, they believe that that is a sign that God loves them. But if not, they believe that it's a sign that God hates them. And if they get a raise, if they find love, if they have extra money, and if people like them, those are all signs that God is good. But if any of that changes, he's a villain and he hates them. Still many others need signs of sensations in their body in order to believe. They look for signs of pleasant experiences like going to a Christian concert and getting all praise pimply and euphoric. They, they only really have faith when they're experiencing signs of euphoria and peace and serenity in their bodies. But as soon as the positive sensation leaves and some trouble comes in their life, their faith and obedience evaporate. M- many ignore God until they see a sign that they're desperate enough that they have to believe. It's, it's only when they're super depressed, they are having suicidal thoughts, they're experiencing a loss or have a major moral slip that they will ever call out to God or come and worship him. Jesus is saying his generation is wicked because they often need signs to believe God. I often, you know, believe many of us treat God that way. So, so we too are an evil generation, according to Jesus. Because unbelief in God is wicked or evil to God. You may say to yourself, oh, I'm not wicked. Well, your pastor is. I have been tempted to look for signs. Sunday evenings are a very tempting time for me to look for signs. After working hard all week and preparing and delivering a message, trying to help us move forward to church, you know, doing all the things that I do, I, I often feel great right now on Sunday morning like this as we worship together. But later in the evening, my mind can start focusing on negative signs. Maybe that people didn't react to the message as positively as I had hoped. Or I thought they should have. Or maybe the offering was just a little bit down this week and we're below budget and I, I take that as a sign that I'm somehow failing God. And, and, and 
if I'm counseling somebody during the week and I, and I tell them God's word and I say, this is what you need to do, and they do opposite to the word that I share with them, which happens all the time, and they get in more trouble, I take that as a negative sign. And then my thinking in those moments when I'm tired and late at night gets wicked. And often in the past, I would walk around my house in the evening muttering, nobody likes me. It's all going to fall apart at church. It's all going to fail. Nobody loves me. Thankfully, my wife, Kathy, is very practical. She says, Ken, who are you talking to? It's not God. She's right. (laughs) Now, I say in the past I used to do this because about maybe a year and a half ago, I realized how truly wicked that was for me to say those things. First off, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So even in my incompetent mistakes, I won't kill it, right? Secondly, and most importantly is, his word says, the son of God loves me and gave his life for me. And Jesus is not a nobody, is he? He truly is somebody. And I was dissing him every time I said that. It was wicked. So I've repented of doing that. It means no, I no longer do that out loud. But sometimes those thoughts still start to pop into my head. But now I do what my wife said. I ask myself, who am I listening to? It's not Jesus. And I start to pray. And I must say to myself, the son of God loves me. And he gave his life for me. To silence that wicked opposing voice that comes in my head. That one that's having a pity party looking for signs of God's love when he's already proved it to me. And that's all I need is what he's already done. I think we all in this twisted and wicked generation do something maybe somewhat similar. We, we look for circumstantial signs of God's love for us. And when they're not one we're expecting, we can wickedly cry out, nobody loves me, I'm all alone, nobody cares for me, which is a wicked, satanic lie. And it's the oldest lie. You know, Satan came and tempted Eve by saying, what God has done for you is not enough. Isn't that how he got her? Telling her, basically, God is holding out on you. He's not good. He doesn't care. Hey, you can be your own God yourself and make demands of him instead of believing in him. For those of us who are searching for signs to believe, the truth is signs do not bring us to real belief. Just read the book of Exodus. And you will see both among the those who said they believed and those who didn't say they believed, the signs didn't help them. Pharaoh did not believe in the Hebrew God. And so God sent him 10 fantastic supernatural signs and it only hardened his heart further against God. Brought more unbelief. Many of the children of Israel said, we believe. But after God sent signs, fantastic 
supernatural signs of his love and protection over them, like the, the ten plagues against their enemy, Pharaoh. And, and, and the sign of them uh, seeing the greatest army on earth at that point, the Egyptian army, um, destroyed as he closed the ocean over them. They saw all these signs. You know what they did three days later? They got to some bitter water and they went, the water's bitter and God doesn't love us and Moses is a jerk and we want to go back to Egypt. Basically. It doesn't say that in the text, but that's basically what, what their attitude was like, right? You know, because they got a little thirsty and the water was bitter. They abandoned God. Three days earlier, they were writing a big praise song about God's love for them and having a worship set. And now they're grumbling at their pastor Moses because God had told them that they had to leave the oppression of Egypt and trust in his love and promise for them. I believe history has proven miraculous signs do not produce real faith. I can't think of a generation that saw more evidence daily of God's love for them, yet wickedly rejected them than the Israelites. True faith does not come from signs. It comes from hearing God's word and choosing to believe it. The father of faith, Abraham, was not given a sign to believe in God. Yes, God spoke to him. In Genesis 15, see here, Abraham's complaining and despairing about not having his promised son. And then God spoke to him, his gospel of love to him and to our world. He said, look to the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, there weren't any fantastic heavenly lights and angels and Nothing particularly special going on. No child came dancing out of a bush saying, Dada. Abraham was just still an 85-year-old man, and his wife was well past childbearing years. There was no sign of life in them. But the scripture says, and he believed God, and it counted it to him, as righteousness. He believed in God's promised love for him. And Abraham learned that day, yes, he was a sinner. You don't need credited righteousness if you're not. But you know, it took 15 more years for a sign of a promised son to show up. And then it took many evil generations, a few thousand years for the true fulfillment of what God had promised to all mankind to happen to Abraham to show up. Abraham was not blessed because of a sign, but because he believed God without a fantastic sign. What did Jesus say here? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God said that all the families of the earth would be blessed by Abraham because he believed God about a promised offspring that would be born, which would be Jesus, born of a woman to deliver us sinners from our sin and from death. All because of God's massive love for us. Now, now Jesus on this day is speaking to a bunch of Jews who all knew this. They knew the word of God better than probably anybody here. 
They had all the word of God through the prophets. Yet unbelief reigned in their hearts because they did not believe God. Beloved, faith comes through hearing. Hearing what God says and believing it. We're not saved by believing in God. That will not save you. We are saved by believing God. Jesus said, no sign would be given this wicked generation, but the sign of Jonah. Something that that correlates to the three days um, Jonah spent in the belly of a whale and, or a fish and, and, and Jesus spent three days in the tomb and it's all about the resurrection. And, and it may be in Matthew's gospel. But here in Luke, I think Jesus is painting an even bigger picture for us of God's massive love for us by bringing up Jonah. Verse 30 again says, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. What was Jonah a sign of to the people of Nineveh? Not to us. What was he a sign of to the people of Nineveh? A man who survived being vomited by a fish? Was that, that the sign they got? That's what the text says. No, it, it was a sign to the Ninevites that God was loving, that he had a massive love for them. See, God sent Jonah to preach his word to Jonah's enemy. Sinners who, who did not believe in him and who had rejected him by worshiping many other gods. Jonah did not want to go these people. He hated these people. He hated them because of how sinful they were. They had attacked and invaded his homeland. Jonah felt about these people the way many of us feel about Ukraine. Not, not the, uh, like if Ukraine was our homeland, how we would feel about Putin and Russia. That's, that's how Jonah felt about the Assyrian people of Nineveh. They were ruthless. They were brutal. And they had attacked his country, Israel. And they showed his country no mercy. And they exhibited excessive cruelty to it. Now, Nineveh was known as a great city. But God said that they had no moral character in it. There was no moral center in the place. He said they didn't know their right hand from their left hand. Nineveh was considered Vegas in the ancient world. Sin City. Uh, Nahum, the prophet, lists some of the city's sin. Idolatry, vile behavior, violence, deceit. They plundered or stole other people's stuff. They enslaved people. And where they were known for just excessive violence and cruelty. Yet God, because of his massive love, chose not to destroy them, but instead send them the reluctant prophet Jonah to preach to them. And Jesus is telling the crowd that they are wicked people. But still God, in his massive love for them, has sent his very own son to save his enemies. Enemies is what the Bible says we are all to God because of our wicked sin of not believing his word to us. Even though God looks on us like Jonah saw with the Assyrians, when God looks on us, he sees a ruthless enemy. He chooses massive love for us and then sends his son, his very own son, as proof of his love. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What Jonah was tasked to do was to go and and warn the Ninevite people to repent, to turn from their disbelief and escape the wrath or judgment of God for their sin. And and, and Jonah, the, the wicked Hebrew preacher, did not want to go to Nineveh. You know why? Because he knew God was so loving and he knew that God would love his enemy. But Jesus willingly came to show God's love to God's enemies by offering his body to die for us on a cross. Now, verse 10 says, now for a, or uh, uh, Romans 5 says, for if if a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, the, the sign of Jonah is about a rescue mission that God accomplished to, to save his enemies, sinners like me and like you. And, and Jesus is saying to the crowd in Nineveh, or, or what he's saying to the crowd, what happened in Nineveh with Jonah should be enough of a sign to you of God's love for you. Interesting thing about this wicked generation in Nineveh is they didn't know God at all. They were ignorant of him. They didn't know about his great stories like the Exodus. They didn't know about the signs and wonders he performed. All they knew was a message that God gave to Jonah for the Ninevites. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people believed God's word about their wickedness and their sin, spoken through that prophet, and they repented. The only evidence they had was Jonah walking down the street with an eight-word sermon. Eight words. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, now some skeptics may miss the point of this story of Jonah. Especially if you start wondering, can this be true that God put a man in a fish for three days? Well, frankly, if there's a God worth believing in, he can do whatever he chooses. Right? I don't believe in a God that can't do whatever he wants. If he can create a man from dust, he can put together a special fish to carry him in, right? But the real miracle of the story is not a man in a fish. The miracle of the story is what happened in the men, women, and children of Nineveh who God's word went into. The book of Jonah says, and the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 120,000 people, the whole city believed the preacher. They believed God, actually, that they deserved judgment. And then they also believed the second truth of what their king said. But, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways, from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, 
so that we may not all perish. He was trusting in the kindness and mercy and love of a God that they hadn't known. These people had not been in Bible studies with all kinds of religious Jews like the audience Jesus was speaking to. They, they didn't know of God's signs and wonders, but they had faith. They believed that God was maybe good enough, loving enough, and they, they trusted his word that if they were merciful and they repented, he would deliver them. Even their beast, their, their cows and their donkeys repented. I mean, that's something. The real miraculous sign of God's love to believe in in the book of Jonah is not some preacher and a fish. The, the sign of Jonah is that God loves his enemies so much that he would send a reluctant prophet and then he aids him with the power of his Holy Spirit so that 120,000 people hear the message that they are sinful and that God loves them anyways. You know, those of you that object because of a guy being in a fish, I know that's not your real objection. That's a smokescreen. You're really objecting to believing you're a sinner who deserves God's just wrath for your sin. And because you refuse to believe that, you are blinded to how loving God truly is to offer you salvation anyways. Instead, you're secretly angry with him because somewhere along the way, you didn't get your way in life and you, Things didn't just happen the way you wanted them to, and you feel he's unfair. Yes, sinner. Thankfully, God is unfair. If he was fair, you'd be destroyed right now. But because of his massive love for you and I, we're all still breathing. Is that a little too harsh? Let's see what Jesus has to say to a bunch of wicked, disbelieving religious people. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Again, it, it, it's really not the idea of a man and a fish that people in our modern world object to. It's that Jesus says there will be a judgment. Many today want to believe that God just loves me. But they don't want to believe that God judges their sin. Jesus is telling the crowd that there's a day of judgment for all people. Not just the perceived wicked ones like the people of Nineveh, but everybody who has ever lived in history. The, the queen of the south was the queen of Sheba who lived a thousand years prior to this crowd Jesus is talking to. And Jesus is saying is that she and that generation that he is speaking to will rise up together, resurrected for judgment. But that the pagan queen will do better in the judgment than they will because she actually believed God while they did not. 
See, the queen had traveled far. She had spent great wealth to hear Solomon because he heard from God. And, and she came with hard questions, the text says. She had doubts. But when she heard God's wisdom spoken to her by Solomon, she believed them. And, and she said, basically, you will be happy if you listen to God. And he, she said, because God loves his people, Israel. And she gave her great wealth to Solomon's work. Jesus is saying that she heard and believed God from Solomon's lips. But now he's saying something greater than Solomon, a man with God's wisdom. Instead, God is right here now with the good news about his massive love for his enemies. But you folks won't believe it. Instead, some said he has a demon. That's what they said to him. And when he gave them a sign of his identity, showing mercy by casting out a a mute demon from a boy that nobody else could cast out, others said, well, show us some more signs. Prove yourself to us. Jesus is saying, to them, don't you see how wicked you are? And yet I'm still here for you anyways. Simply turn to me, believe like the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba, and you will be saved. Friends, I don't care if you believe my words today to you. I am nothing but a guy God let be vomited out today to speak to you. I smell, it may smell a little fishy to you. But I am speaking the word of God to you and asking you to repent of your unbelief and of your sin and believe in his great love for you. Jesus then drives his point further. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, this had to offend those religious Pharisees. Their pride, that, 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 this ticked them off. Hearing that their pagan enemies who are so violent and wicked would be raised with them at judgment to stand over them and condemn them. Even Jonah, the Hebrew preacher, was not happy that his enemies repented. He wanted them to be destroyed. He did not want them to believe in God. He did not want to believe that God could love them. So he sat outside the the city while they repented. You know why he sat outside the city? Hoping God would throw judgment on it. He didn't want to be there. He really did not believe God's word about the abounding massive love for sinners or he would have stayed and repented with them and celebrated God's love. And mercy. And instead, the preacher is sitting out sulking about how God does not love him enough because he didn't get his way. I don't know what you guys think about how wicked that is for some preacher guy, you know, to, to do something like that. Oh, I did that, didn't I? Okay. Um, wicked. You know, when things didn't work out the way he wanted to, Went around moping around like I did to my wife about how nobody loves him. That's what Jonah was doing. 
A preacher like that deserves to be destroyed by God's judgment. But because of our God, with a massive love, he showed him kindness anyways by, by growing a plant to shade him in the hot sun during his little pity party. But, but this sign of God's love for Jonah does not change his attitude towards the Ninevites. Yes, he's grateful for some shade, but when circumstances change and a worm is sent to kill the plant and the sun gets a little hotter, he, he, he disregards all the evidence of God's love for him and his enemies. And he says to God, can't I just die? Jonah says, it's better for me to die than to live. Well, that's demonic, isn't it? It's a demonic thing, lie in the head of a guy who's supposed to be a preacher who serves God. Here's why. He said, Jesus said, both the people of Nineveh and that generation will be raised for judgment. See, he was mistaking something. Jonah was. Friends, death is not a way out of trouble. If we believe God, and we should, because this happens to be Jesus speaking, there is a judgment. And the good news he's telling us is that we're all resurrected again into eternity. We all have eternal life. The bad news is those sinners who do not believe that they are sinners and do not repent and believe that in God's massive love for sinners end up in a place of eternal punishment forever for their crime of unbelief. But the good news for the horrific sinners, like the Ninevites, who believed God about the seriousness of their sin and responded and and, and went to God repenting, asking for his mercy, found a massive love for them, and he changed They avoided punishment for their sin, those that come to God eternally. Jonah obeyed God, and he had delivered the message, but he had not repented yet. He had not believed in or wanted to believe in God's massive love towards sinners. And so he's not there repenting, asking God for mercy. And neither are the religious people Jesus is talking to. The ones who supposedly knew God. Jesus is saying at the judgment that the generation of Ninevites who repented will be there to condemn this godly generation that Jesus is speaking to. All because they repented and believed when some fishy foreign man, Jonah, preached an eight-word sermon about their sin and the judgment of God. Now, Jesus says, now something greater is here. God is directly relaying his message, incarnation, standing among them, providing the proper signs and evidence according to his word that they all knew, and still they reject him in unbelief and ask for greater signs. How can their hearts, how can our hearts be so hard to ask for a sign when God has already come down and shown his kindness to his enemies by dying for us? 
And then we, unlike the Ninevites, whose treatment of Jonah was pretty good, we were violent. We were brutal with Jesus. We were his own people, and yet we, we slandered him, and we mocked him, and we beat him into almost critical condition. But Jesus... He was still kind. He still showed God's massive love for sinners by by praying for them on the cross, praying for his tortures and for the rest of us enemies on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And all this doesn't happen in some sin city. This happens in God's holy city. Acts 4.27 says that though... All of this happened according to God's plan because God has a massive love for us sinners. And and Jesus said in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, I am God, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the God who loves you and gave his life for you. Because he has a massive love for sinners. And so he took the massive weight of our sin and the sins of all mankind and he placed it on himself and died to put it to death. And we who believe that are credited with his righteousness by God and will experience infinite love forever with him in his home. Three days later, he rises, he, he walks out of the tomb, confirming the ancient promise that God had made to us that death and sin would be destroyed, never to return by our creator who chose to love us before the foundations of this earth. Now, Jesus is saying the people of God and his generations will be judged by Ninevites for not believing in the sign of Jonah. God's forgiveness and love to them. God's forgiveness and love to those who admit their sin and repent, which means just turn to him. Now, friends, how how much more will we be judged for all eternity if we refuse to believe that we are sinners and that only God's massive love for us through Jesus Christ can save us? All we need is what I say to myself. The Son of God loved me and gave his life for me. And turn and believe that. Today, turn. Repent of unbelief. We all have it. Believe in God's massive love for you. Not doing so is is a greater sin than murder. It's a greater sin than sleeping around. It's a greater sin than stealing. Those are just symptoms of unbelief. They're symptoms of an eternally fatal disease called unbelief. End your sickness today and believe what God has said, that you have sinned against him and that you deserve his wrath. But in his great and massive love for us, he laid his wrath on his very own son who died so that you can know forgiveness and mercy and love eternally. With God, let us pray. Father, we we come to you and we thank you for your word, which is true. Father, I, I, I pray today that nobody here would ignore what I'm saying. 
have said many more than eight words. But only a few words are necessary, Lord. Lord, send your Holy Spirit like you did to the Ninevites and convict us, Lord God. Convict us of our sin. Let, let's be convicted that that is, that is unholy, that that is unright, and that we have offended you, Lord. Father, then convict us of your love for us and your goodness and your mercy to us. Send your Holy Spirit to do that right now, Lord. And Father, also convict us that there is a judgment coming, that we, we don't want to wait, that we want to do this right now, that this is a time, like the Ninevites, they knew if, if they didn't turn in 40 days, their whole city would be wiped out. And, and Lord, another generation did not believe you, and you wiped out that great city of Nineveh 125 years later. So, Father, let us not delay. We don't have 125 years. Today is the day. Oh, Father, let your Holy Spirit go out, pour out upon your people, and, 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 and convince them of your goodness and your love and your mercy for them. And let them turn from their sin today and find joy and peace and eternal joy and peace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would you all stand? And as we sing, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn from your unbelief. Do that as you sing. If you want to come and pray with me to do that, I'll be here in front. Or turn to a friend and pray with them. Confess your sin to them. And turn to God, asking for his mercy.